Hello and welcome to The Frontline, a podcast from ILGA Europe in Brussels. We represent and work on behalf of over 600 LGBTI activist organizations across Europe and Central Asia, and our podcast aims to bring you to the front lines of queer activism in the region. My name is Anna Shepard, and I'm the Partnerships Manager at ILGA Europe. In this, the second episode of our mini-series, exploring the opportunities and challenges that come with businesses supporting LGBTI equality, we're taking a closer look at how business can support LGBTI civil society in different country contexts. With me to talk about how to build partnerships with business in contexts requiring different responses from advocacy to campaigns are Nancy Kelly, the chief executive of Stonewall, which has a long experience working with private business both in the UK and internationally, and Noah Kralievich from the ILGA Europe member organization Expanse of Gender and Media Culture Common Zone, who has led on LGBTIQ inclusion in the workplace in Croatia and is here to talk about their engagement with the private sector in the country. So hello and welcome both to the front line. Nancy, I'll come to you first. As I mentioned, Stonewall has long experience of, of partnership building, both at home in the UK and internationally. Why do you think collaboration between the private sector and LGBTI civil society is important? I guess fundamentally because partnerships between private sector organisations and LGBTI civil society organisations are incredibly mutually beneficial. They allow businesses to learn from local LGBTQ plus communities, including to learn about how to be better employers, better suppliers to their customers, as, as well as how to support the broader community. Um, it enables businesses to use their very kind of considerable platforms for, for driving lasting change. And for civil society organisations, it's an opportunity to access influential supporters, um, often particularly important in really contested country contexts. Um, and it's an opportunity to um, get funding for partnerships that otherwise they wouldn't necessarily be able to drive forward. So I think it, it has that benefit of being a kind of really powerful kind of two-way process. And we've been working with, with businesses since the early 2000s. So before um, LGBT people, TI people had any workplace protections here in the UK and before we were protected in many areas of public life. And having those relationships in place has meant that we've been able to work with brands and corporations to make real meaningful change for LGBTQI plus communities in and outside of the workplace as, as rights have improved, but also before those rights were in place. And those partnerships have been able to really help transform the labour market for LGBTQI people, give power to LGBTQI people to choose from organisations, uh, uh, you know, choose across their organisations that are seeking to kind of hire diverse talent. And now we're in a position which is a brilliant place to get to where when we're campaigning, we can turn to corporate partners and say, actually, we need your help. You know, whether it's in the UK or it's we need someone who can stand alongside and support NOAA in Croatia, we can reach out to global businesses that have got a footprint there and say, what can your government uh, governmental affairs offices do kind of what can your 
um, kind of what can your senior execs do behind the scenes to influence the position? So, you know, I think it's incredibly important that we build those partnerships for all of those reasons, really. Not everyone um, in the community or in the, the LGBTI movement agrees with, with collaboration with the private sector. Partnerships mm-hmm. are often criticized, uh, criticized of, of pinkwashing, sometimes also for, for good reason. So how, how can we in civil society ensure authentic commitment uh, to yeah. LGBTI equality from the businesses we, we work with? So for Stonewall, when we're looking at an organization and trying to assess their motivations and understand whether this is a kind of authentic approach. We look for key indicators, so strong support for senior leadership for developing their own LGBTQI plus inclusion work. We look to see that they're willing to listen to their own employee voice through mechanisms like employee councils or networks. We look for recognition that this work needs to be long term, needs to be sustainable, um, needs to be fully funded. For us, um, within our our Workplace Equality Index programme, our Diversity Champions programme, we ideally look for organisations that are willing to commit to that kind of scrutiny through those sorts of benchmarking tools. The other thing that I would say kind of beneath the level of a partnership and at the level of a partnership program is that there is a a kind of authenticity in the work they want to do. So they're not just seeking to do something that is to do with LGBTQI rights. They're seeking to do something that's meaningful to their brand. Because for me, that's an indicator that they've thought more deeply about this work. Um, When we were creating our guide side by side, which is a guide about how businesses and civil society can build these kinds of impactful partnerships, we asked civil society organisations what they look for um, when they're building partnerships with businesses. And they also pointed to that issue of authenticity. And some of the examples they gave um, included things like showing that there was a fundamental commitment to anti-discrimination that's championed by senior leaders globally, Um, that intention to plan long-term and see beyond a single training program or a single engagement, Um, and the willingness to formalise an agreement with their partner and commit time and resources that that allow for a successful partnership. And I think all of that points to to the same place, which is kind of an authentic partnership. The kind of, the test of it is when things are hard, And so we look to businesses that are willing to stand by those commitments to stand firm in their commitment to LGBTQI equality when rights are under attack and um, organisations that are prepared to use their influence with national governments, with other key stakeholders. Those are the ones that we would most trust to kind of lead this sort of work with, with, with kind of authenticity and with focus. To support activist groups internationally, um, at Stonewall, you've recently published a, a global guide to building business and civil society partnerships for LGBTQ plus rights. Uh, so what would be the key pieces of advice for activist groups across Europe and Central Asia who want to embark on this journey of building partnerships with businesses? I would think about building a really strong business case or case for support. So if you're doing it For the first time, if you're doing this kind of partnership work for the first time, um, it's likely that you're going to need research, statistics, powerful testimony about why the partnership or project should get time, funding, resource. 
So civil society know this information better than anyone and putting in, in the work to build that case for support now will pay off for both partners down the line. Um, and I think then be clear that the organisations need to set aside budget for your expertise. If you're helping them, whether you're building training, you're helping them develop policy, if you're helping them think about how to engage with LGBTQI staff, then those organisations should be recognising that value and should be remunerating it, should be paying for it accordingly. And if that's not through a financial transfer or payment, you can often negotiate um, resources or gifts in kind like with technology that can help support your organisation. And then finally, I think it's about agreeing the parameters of your project or partnership at the beginning and keeping open communication and replanning where necessary throughout. Both businesses and civil society need to be clear about the objectives and the benefits of working together, what's in and out of scope of the partnership, and be really honest if there are times when values aren't aligning so that you can work to resolve it. Noah, uh, turning to you now, uh, zooming into the country context in, in Croatia, could you describe the journey so far uh, of engaging private sector companies in, in LGBTI rights and equality in Croatia? Uh, maybe before uh, talking more about the field of employment and engagement of uh, private sector companies in LGBTI rights and equality in Croatia, maybe I could uh, just say a few words about the uh, uh, LGBTI rights in Croatia in general. Um, as you may know, we have a constitutional ban of, of same-sex marriage. Um, Croatia is quite conservative, traditionalist country. And in 2013, a group of uh, conservative uh, fundamentalist uh, traditionalist NGOs and initiatives organized a referendum where people voted uh, in favor uh, that into the constitution is introduced that the uh, definition of marriage is that the marriage is a community of woman and a man. Uh, however, in 2014, uh, Croatian government has adopted a law on life partnership. Uh, this life partnership uh, in rights and effects is equated with the marital union of persons of different sexes, uh, with the exception uh, of the right to a single parent and joint uh, adoption of children. So same-sex couples in Croatia have been denied the right to adopt children together, and it's also impossible to adopt a partner's child. Also, when it comes to the trans rights, uh, there is a legal gender recognition, but the procedure is administratively very long, uh, quite exhausting. It includes at least a medical professional, social worker, and so on. And there is no comprehensive uh, medical care, um, and the majority of the procedures are not covered by the health insurance. So this is briefly um, about the situation in Croatia. And uh, now something more about the um, engagement of the private uh, sector uh, companies and workplace. Um, going back to the referendum in 2013 briefly, where the turnout was only 37.9% uh, of the people voted. So actually, uh, the majority of Croatian citizens um, with the right to vote uh, didn't find actually this topic relevant. So after the referendum, uh, a couple of LGBT NGOs uh, sat down and discussed how we can reach this so-called silent majority. And one of the conclusions was, well, maybe through workplace, because uh, that area hasn't been tackled before uh, in Croatia. 
and as, as a first step, uh, we did uh, two national researches, and the results were pretty alarming in terms that uh, 75 of the LGBT respondents were discriminated against in the workplace or when seeking employment. The reporting percentage was also very low. Only 11% uh, of the people uh, reported that they were um, that they experienced the discrimination, abuse, or harassment. On the other hand, a uh, second part of the research was uh, among employers in Croatia. And although majority of them, over 83%, didn't have any specific um, LGBTI equality policies and practices besides uh, those required by the law, like general uh, provisions that the discrimination uh, should be banned. But what is encouraging was that around 60% of employers uh, expressed interest in the trainings, educations, and other activities uh, regarding uh, LGBTI rights and equality in the workplace. Uh, but sadly, only 5% of the employers uh, were from private sector who were interested in those kind of activities. And I have to say, in general, uh, when it comes to our uh, programs for employers, uh, public and nonprofit sector expressed more interest and willingness to engage uh, than employers in the private sector. But also, uh, parallel uh, with the research, uh, we started to look into what other um, organizations are doing um, in this field, and we came across Stonewall, Stonewall's uh, Workplace Equality Index, and we thought that this format might even work in Croatia. So we basically contacted Stonewall, and we had a really amazing training in London, and that's how we got the knowledge not only to start with the creation index, but also how to approach employers and start building relationships with them. So in 2017, uh, we did the first creation index. Uh, it was uh, quite simple. Uh, it didn't have the scoring system. And we basically looked uh, into which organization has any policy or practice uh, beside those minimum uh, required by law. And only two private sector companies uh, had that, so they uh, got the awards uh, for their contribution to the equality of LGBT people in the, in the workplace. Uh, in 2020, uh, we did the second creation index. Uh, the, this one is uh, more elaborate and, and with the scoring system. And also more employers uh, participated than in the previous one, 111 employers uh, compared to 95 employers in 2017. Unfortunately, in, in the top 10, there were only two private sector employers. But actually, what is interesting, one private sector employer had the highest score and was awarded the best employer for the contribution to the LGBT equality in, in the workplace. Uh, in addition to the index, we also started with awareness raising trainings in the employers' organizations. In our index, uh, one of the last questions that we asked the employers is if they would like to participate uh, in the training, if they need any kind of support from us or um, with their uh, LGBTI policies, or if they maybe would like to uh, have a contact uh, with other organizations, etc. So to those employers who say yes, we offer them trainings and support they ask us for. So uh, during 2020 and 2020. 21, we had these trainings uh, cycle. We held a total of 17 trainings for 20 employers uh, for 220 participants, both staff and management. Uh, and again, least represented was private sector. Only three employers participated. But the interesting thing is that in private sector employers, 
that only uh, private sector employers actually asked us to come again in the future and do more trainings with them. And uh, what we learned in our journey is actually that it's very important to have allies in the business sector. And uh, when it comes to challenges, uh, I'd say our biggest challenge is actually to engage more private sector employers especially employers who will be committed to LGBTI equality in the long run. But of course, uh, I just want to say that we are actually really happy what we uh, what was achieved so far. Uh, we came from like zero in 2016 to really a number of employers who recognized that this topic is uh, relevant for their organizations and work environments. Thanks for sharing this journey. Um, there seems to be... Uh, interest and, and even commitment to, to workplace inclusion among employers, although work still to do, uh, in particular bringing private sector employers along. Um, beyond internal diversity and inclusion policies within companies, have you also seen willingness to be advocates outside company walls? Actually, not yet. <laughs> not yet. We are hoping for that. Uh, for instance, um, there are some companies who support us with donations, uh, both us and, and, and the other LGBT organizations, but that is not on the regular basis and it's uh, mostly connected to Pride events and some other LGBT community events. They also donate their uh, services and things like that. Also, uh, we had a group of uh, volunteers from one big private sector company who volunteered in our community center. When we renovated the space, they actually did the flooring. They did it by themselves and they were really efficient. <laughs> so we would actually like to see more, more of that because um, I think in this quite informal way, this is a very good start to get to know each other better, establish the relationship and uh, actually start building trust. You already touched on kind of supporting smaller employers in adapting some of the uh, requirements. Um, it's often large multinational companies who we see pioneering, but, but have you also managed to engage with small and medium-sized and, and local companies in Croatia? Uh, yes, we did, but unfortunately, uh, not yet to a larger extent. Um, some of the small and medium uh, national companies participated in the last index, uh, actually 15 of them, and some expressed interest for the trainings. Uh, but unfortunately, in this period, uh, when we started with the program in 2020, also pandemic started. So we were mostly limited to online trainings and uh, some of those uh, smaller national companies uh, didn't have the possibility to organize online trainings for their um, employees. For instance, uh, we had one uh, <clears throat> medium national company from the energy sector and uh, they really wanted to organize um, the training for their staff and management, but uh, most of their employees don't work in the offices and don't have computers so they couldn't organize the online training. Also, uh, when it comes to smaller and medium, um, medium organizations, uh, some of them are really uh, hit hard by the pandemic and they had to completely reorganize their operations and uh, staff. And that was their uh, primary focus in 2020, 2021. So they uh, asked us if we could postpone uh, the trainings and other activities for some better times in the future. 
But I'd say in Croatia, there is more interest from small and medium uh, local private sector companies uh, than from big national companies, definitely. I have a a final question to wrap up to to both of you. Companies often reach out with questions about what they could and and should be doing in, in certain countries or in response to developments in countries. So first, turning to you, Noah, from the perspective of an activist in Croatia, what would you say is the most helpful helpful support from the private sector at the moment? Well, at the moment, the biggest support that we get is actually that private sector uh, companies participate in our activities. Of course, uh, it would be really helpful if they would engage more and reach out more and collaborate more with civil uh, society organizations. Uh, We have some ideas actually uh, how we would like to work together with the business sector and some of our ideas are like maybe some help with the visibility actions, for instance, since uh, big companies have uh, PR and they work with top marketing agencies and civil society organizations in Croatia can barely like afford uh, five billboards in the capital city. So that kind of uh, collaboration would be really great if they could help us with the visibility. Uh, also, what we would like to help that we would like to uh, get from the bigger private uh, sector companies if they could share, for instance, uh, some of the best practices and policies with us. We would like that because we work uh, f- uh, with organizations from uh, public sector, from non-profit sector, and if we uh, learn about some good and in- innovative LGBTI policies uh, that companies in private sector implement, which are applicable also in the public sector, we can transfer those good policies and ideas to different sectors and also maybe to some smaller and uh, uh, medium companies uh, that are not aware of those policies. And finally, turning to you, Nancy, what would your advice to companies be? So we think, firstly, we would always advise companies who reach out to us to to kind of ask about how they can do more on LGBTQI rights, is to engage with local legal teams to better understand the legal framework in the country they're operating in. And some of this is picking up what Noah was pointing to earlier. Companies need to understand context, not just in terms of kind of legislation around sexual orientation or gender identity, but also kind of whether there are workplace protections, whether there are restrictions on freedom of expression, whether there are um, restrictions on family formation, whether kind of rights like equal marriage, same-sex adoption, parenting rights are in place. We also really always tell people to talk to their staff, you know, people who've got lived experience of being LGBTQI in the countries that a company is working in have got the best sense of what the opportunities to make change are. We always advise companies to work with local civil society organisations, just as Noah's saying, who can share the best intelligence, can give advice on how to deliver LGBTQI inclusion strategies, can provide unique insights into the challenges and opportunities that our sector face. And we, we always sort of suggest that people really refer back to and start with the UN standards for conduct for conduct for business on LGBTI inclusion, because that's a really good broad starting point for planning activity um, and understanding the most appropriate activity to your country context. And I think overall, for me, it comes back to this point about 
authenticity. And that's kind of really understanding as a company, what is it you want to achieve? What is it you have to offer LGBTQI plus people? And these points that Noah is making really about actually the most useful thing that a company might be able to give is pro bono marketing support, or the most useful thing that a company might be able to give is um, engagement and and support around governance to an LGBTQI organisation. So I think it's approaching this through through the lens of your your genuine commitment to LGBTQI inclusion both inside your organization and in your wider community. Thank you very much both Nancy and Noah for, for sharing your perspectives today. You have been listening to the Frontline, ILGA Europe's LGBTI activism podcast. To find out more about our guests and their organizations, visit the links in our episode description and please subscribe, like, comment or share wherever you listen to your podcasts. The more we hear from you, the more activists will gain from our work at ILGA Europe to build a strong and resilient movement for positive change in LGBTI people's lives. Tune in next time when we'll be traveling further on the front lines of LGBTI activism in Europe and Central Asia. Bye for now.